Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Julian Cabana, also known as G. G was the former VP of growth at hypergrowth startups such as Drift and Segment, and now works as a growth advisor for a number of different startups. In this episode, we talk about forecasting churn, the most surprising factor G found that contributes to churn, and the simplest way to battle it. We also discuss tracking and measuring your marketing efforts, the importance of understanding the sales velocity of your different marketing channels, and why you shouldn't give up too quickly on a new marketing channel. G also shared the craziest thing he had ever done with automation and emphasized how a slight advantage over your competitors can make a world of difference in the SaaS business world. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, G, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, thank you for having me. It's great to have you today, G. For the listeners out there, uh, G's a growth advisor to companies like Hell, Monkey Learn, Mad Kudu, and others. He was also the ex-VP of growth at Drift and Segment, and uh, earlier in his career, he was head of marketing at Mention. Uh, so he's also been focused in B2B SaaS for over 10 years now, and he's had a lot of time to think about the problem of churn and recession and its effects on growth. Uh, G, throughout your career, like, what would you say has been the single biggest light bulb moment that you've had when you just sort of stood back and went like, oh. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I've been doing marketing for the past like 15 years, you know? Uh, actually like 17 now. I started at Apple in like 2003. So yeah, it's been 17 years now. And, um, and I've always been doing like marketing, thinking of, of acquisition and thinking of like bringing people in and and then you know i do b2b which means i sell people um and and so i hand off my leads i hand off my demand generation efforts to like sales people and then i move on right and in in 2014 2015 when i joined mention mention uh there was no one to take care of the clients once uh, they became clients and the trend was pretty bad uh and i had to take care of it because there's just no one else right it was a small company um, and when I started uh, looking into that and looking and trying to understand why people left, um, I think that was a light bulb moment, um, both for my interest in like full life cycle 
um, of the clients and also for technical marketing, which became growth, right? Uh, because a lot of the things that, that growth does, you know, around automation and, and uh, very uh, lots of scrappiness is mostly to reduce costs um, and to do things automatically that humans could do but are too expensive to do and are very applicable, applicable to small companies uh, because you just don't have the human resources, right? And so if you want to take care of like thousands of customers at scale, um, you need to do things uh, smarter. Uh, and I think that was the moment for me, like 2014, 2015. Absolutely. I like definitely, it's interesting that you say that there was nobody else to do it and you needed to solve this problem. Uh, and yeah. sort of realizing as well that part of that problem is uh, through the acquisition and the leads that you yeah. bring in. Uh, and that's yeah, what it's I, because like we had a revenue goal. And so I was in charge of all of the revenue. And yeah. so like it's very, as soon as you're in charge of all of the revenue, there's no hiding that if you bring bad leads, you know, it's your problem too. Absolutely. And also like at the end of the day, like your biggest lever for growth is really like focusing on uh, having good retention because when you're in a subscription business, like uh, you, you really want to see if you can increase that LTV going forward. Um, yeah. so talking about this as well, like, cause we actually, we just had a chat just before the show and uh, we had this discussion that really like when churn is bad, like the place you really should be looking at first is your marketers uh, because at the end of the day, like it often, like we, we start to look at sales team or customer success and say, okay, uh, it's their fault, but really like the problem starts earlier. But what are your thoughts yep. on this? And like, what are some of the things that you've discovered like throughout your career that, uh, yep. leads? yeah, I think, you know, um, if we take a step back, uh, one of the, of the significant issues is, is the KPIs, is like, what is the incentive of the marketing team? You know, how are we measuring their effort and their impact? Now, I'm a marketer, you know, and, and so I have the habit of saying, if you give me any metric but retained revenue, like LTV, I can cheat, right? I can push people to sign up. No worries, you know, if I overpromise, it's super easy, like, you give me the hands on like a paid acquisition or SEO, I'm going to put out some ads saying that the product, the product is free forever and that is going to do wonders uh, and people are going to sign up. And of course, you know, they're going to be unhappy and so they're going to churn, right? But bringing people in, you know, if you can do whatever you want is easy. And of course, most marketers don't go that far, but there is an incentive to overpromise. Right? So the first thing you got to think about in the business is what is the incentive of my marketers, of my demand uh, generation team, and is that incentive aligned with the health of the business long term? That's number one, I'd say. You know? And the second yeah. is, you know, um, are they, do they have the data to understand uh, what's a good customer and what's not a great customer? And it's not your customer's fault. It's your fault really right because you yeah. brought the people in right and even if you have organic on stuff you know that says oh i have so many companies i advise that tell me oh yeah i've got lots of traffic on this blog post but most of the traffic is not relevant yeah and then the answer is obvious change the article right if the if the if the traffic is not relevant to your business like you shouldn't you it's it's not just like null value it's actually destroying value because it's taking time of your business to take care of those people and say no. 
it's taking their time and they'll be frustrated. So you're actually destroying value, right? There's no null game here. You're either adding value or destroying value, right? And so you've got to be very thoughtful about that. Yeah, it's definitely sort of those vanity metrics as well. It's like you see traveling, it's exciting, but if it's not bringing results, it's meaningless at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 So uh, you mentioned something as well, like, which is key. And I think it's definitely an area of your expertise is uh, being able to track and understand the effectiveness and having access to the data. So I think like for me personally, as a, like as a market, I think the Holy grail is really being able to attribute LTV back to sort of your different acquisition channels and, uh, and really yeah. understanding the long-term uh, value, like the lifetime value that you're getting from your customers as a result of the different efforts. Like, how have you seen this done successful and like what is some of your advice when companies are thinking about going about tracking and measuring um, their marketing efforts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it, it really, I would split in two, uh, uh, in two buckets, different types of company. Uh, if you've been in business for like some time, let's call it like a couple of years, right? Let's say like, like twice the average length of your like a lifetime of your customer, right? Uh, if you've been like, if your business has been there for twice the average length, then you can start doing some really good regression by channel on LTV. You can really start saying, hey, like people who come from SEO have like, I don't know, like a $500 uh, LTV. People who come in from like outbound uh, might have like a $2,000 uh, LTV, right? You know, the conversion rates, the top of the funnel, you know, like the ACV, you know, the, the retention in months what, and whatnot, right? And that's pretty great, which means if you have that, you can start like having those regressions and apply those, um, those predictive models to new customers. And you can apply that to your decisions. So you can say, hey, like next month, well, now I know that, uh, that people from this channel have a high conversion rate, but eventually they drop off. And so the LTV is lower. And so I don't want to focus on them, right? And I do a lot of that in, in my day-to-day -day work. In my day-to-day -day work, I do a lot and a lot of that. And so we start like, uh, we, we stop the efforts on high churn uh, channels. The other bucket obviously is you don't have enough business history, right? Yeah. That's harder uh, because like, it's really, like, churn is something that's really hard to predict. And I see a lot of businesses, businesses like saying that they have like net negative churn and that growth is infinite. And when I look at the, at the financial model, like they've got less than, year, than one year of selling. So, well, of course, people haven't churned yet, right? Like yeah. it's not that your product is great. It's that people are new and like you're still in the, in the, in the love uh, phase of the relationship, yeah. right? Um, so that gets harder. In that, that case, if I were you, I would try to grab churn data um, uh, from a podcast or from uh, uh, other articles in your industry that are relevant and, and add 50% to be pessimistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like uh, as well the add 50% to be pessimistic because very really, like early days, it's, uh, everything is unknown. But yeah, let's talk because about- always hurts you in a worse way than you think. Yeah, and it's always one of those things as well that's often like an afterthought. It's like, as you say, like, uh, because you haven't hit that year mark, things don't look so bad yet. So it's almost masked in a way, uh, but really underneath the curtains, like uh, shit could really be hitting the fan without anybody paying attention. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, and I think there's 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 two types. And when you look at like predicting churn, there's like there's the two types of like ways you can think about it. Uh, one, well, actually, let's let's actually break it down in three, right? Um, either you're doing a model where you're saying, hey, my average uh, retention in months for this type of client at this AC in this channel is like let's call it like eight months, and so you know that you know or like one year and you know that after that time like um your chances of churn is going to increase every month right and, and you can just model that there's a curve and you know that you're losing you know like probably like three percent per month of, of users and maybe less in revenue right that's one way the other way is to look at behavior and say well let's actually within a cohort let's look at the behavior of the clients are they using the product are they not using the product and let's use that to model a, a, a churn behavior model to, to predict, you know, are they engaged or are they gonna are, are they gonna leave, right? And within that uh, strategy, it's it's gonna work for some products. It's not gonna work from others. There are some products where like uh, engagement gradually, uh, I'd say, diminishes over time and below a certain point. Uh, they're no longer getting the value to offset the cost, and so they leave, right? Some other products, um, especially mobile apps, uh, the churn happens immediately, right? It's like the engagement was high, high, high. Yeah. They switch to another app, and you never see them again. And in that case, you, you can't predict, right? Well, you can't predict with behavior. You can't predict with time. It's just based on, hey, were they acquired by another better app? Right, and yeah. so that churn it can't be predicted by time. It can be cannot be predicted by by behavior. Definitely, and I think as well, like this is one thing that we've talked a little bit about on the, the podcast is really about that window uh, of churn, and uh, for different companies, uh, that definitely is a point. But what you tend to typically see is there's always that window, whether it's maybe in the mobile app space or if it's in the SaaS space, where it's like the first ninety days are critical. Uh, in understanding and that's when you sort of need to be looking at the behavior and uh, most likely like most businesses if they're going to stick around after the 90 days you tend to see this yeah. uh, increased uh, retention rate for the cohorts that make it past yeah. that period yeah and so i worked on i worked on actually predicting like surprising churn uh, for b2b models and we found out um, that a good part of the churn uh, comes from um, um, people change in the organization, right? Yeah. And, and the reason why that is, is that you work, we have a CS team, you're gonna work on the first 90 days, you're gonna onboard the champion and then the people working with your champion and it's gonna be all in good. But like other thing that we sell, like most most of the listeners here sell like SaaS products, software, right? So it's a, it's a and so what that means is that those people in tech, um, the average tenure, so lengthen a job, it's just like churn, right? They stay on average, you know, in, in the Bay Area, it's 18 months. In the US, it's like two years. And like, but more or less, like people change like jobs every two to three years, right? Yeah. And it's, it's faster in tech and it's faster in California. Um, and so it just happens if you sell to someone who's already like one year in the job, like six months from now, the chances to, to leave are getting like increased by the, by the month, right? When they leave, most of the time, two things happen. One, they're replaced, 
right? And someone else comes in with maybe other vendors that he or she likes, right? And yeah. then churn is like, it's, it's hard to, um, let's say, to battle at that moment. And so I started with my team predicting that, looking at uh, data insights um, to um, try and forecast, predict, and also combat the churn. Right. One thing that we do that I can advise everyone, all the listeners here to do, super easy. If you have a SaaS product, it means you send emails. Right? You send either product emails or marketing emails. Anyway, you send emails to your customers. Please monitor the hard bounces. You have an ESP like MailChimp or whatever. You use like Iterable or, or whatever ESP you like. There's a yeah. way to monitor for hard bounces. You use Zapier, you take the hard bounces, you sync that back to your CRM, right? When there's like one or two hard bounces, I'm not just talking like a soft bounce, I'm talking about hard bounce, right? Yeah. You, you have your CS people look at the hard bounce. Most likely that person's gone. The email is the first thing that's going to, it's either going to bounce or auto respond, right? Yeah. That person's gone, right? That, and that's, that's a super easy and cheap trick, right? You know that person's gone? Great. Now you not need to work on who's the next person. Now your CS team's job is to find out, is there already a replacement? Who is the replacement? Can we get in touch with that person? Right? First yeah. thing. Second thing that most teams forget, you just had a champion who left. What is that champion going to do? Is he or she going to like start being, becoming like a farmer and farming potatoes in the backyard? No, of course yeah. not, right? That person is going to stay in tech, right? Yeah. And that person is most likely going to, going to go in a similar role, right? And is most likely going to want to implement the similar successes that he or she had in the previous job, right? Yeah. What should you do? You should find out where that person is going, right? Find out that person's personal email address and tell them, hey, what's next? Find, look on LinkedIn, look on Twitter. And all of that is automated in my case, right? Yeah. And after we found the new job for that person, we sent that person a gift in the first week in their new job, saying congrats, wow. for, the, congrats for the new gig. You do, and if, if it's a promotion, well, a, a job promotion in the new uh, company, we say congrats for your new gig. You deserve it. It's great. Uh, let us send you a small gift uh, because we love you. We do not ask for anything. I don't ask for a demo. They're busy. It's the first week. I just send them a nice headset, a Bose headset, you know, because at the price I sell stuff for a champion who already loves my product, I don't care, right? So I send that and say, hey, congrats. We love you. This is for you to focus. Let us know when you're ready to talk. And that's it. I preserve the relationship, right? Yeah. I, and so they will bring me back on board, right? That is my best acquisition campaigns. People who leave jobs, go somewhere else, it's, the conversion is insane. It's really, yeah. really good. And the reason for that is I imagine there's, there's, there's a new, like imagine I sell a, a, a gorgeous, a, a help desk a software. And so we sell it to like CS people, like uh, VPs of CS. Imagine she goes into a new role. She's going to make a recommendation for a help desk. Do you really think that the other stakeholders are going to say no? She was just hired. You don't say no to someone you, you just hired, right? She got yeah. the budget. The budget is fresh. She's making some changes. You don't, say, you don't hire someone to say no to change, right? You hire someone to make changes, right? Sure. And, and so it's technology 
is much easier. That's why it's a risk and that's why it's an opportunity. So people change are like a fantastic opportunity that you need to know how to leverage. I absolutely love this. Like the simplicity is, is genius in it and uh, the way you sort of figure out and you go about doing it. And it's something as well we talked about with David uh, Scott on the show. Like this is something they also figured out uh, through his time like at HubSpot and uh, through his investing as well in various companies is like one of the mm. biggest indicators of churn is uh, people leaving that your champion leaving yeah. the company and uh, like as a marketer or as a customer success, like the people leaving is often something that you just sort of like deal with and you say, okay, they've churned, but people are going somewhere else. They're not leaving. They're going to a new job. They're starting a new fresh. I really, really yeah. think it's a fantastic bit of advice. Um, so, G, the other thing then I wanted to ask, like you touched on a little bit earlier, is um, looking at companies and you want to try and uh, predict churn, you said, and you, you looked at sort of in your unlucky situation where you've been around for two years and you could do some sort of regression analysis yeah. and understand what leads to it. But in order to do that, I think more often than not, like teams as well after two years, they don't really have that level of sophistication yet. They haven't been in the lucky position where they've implemented maybe the right tracking from day one. Uh, mm-hmm. What is some of like the first steps you would advise any company when they're thinking about going about tracking their marketing efforts and uh, then yeah. further down the funnel? Like, what are some of the key things that they need to be doing almost from day one? Yeah, yeah. So you need to start implementing uh, uh, some kind of tracking. And yes, I know I was at Segment for a year and a half. And so I do, uh, uh, I'd say, push that because I think it's great. Um, but you need to start tracking behavior, right? From day one, you cannot build a good product if you don't understand what people are doing in your product, right? That's the thing. It's like, imagine like no tracking in your app. It's just as if you had a store, a retail store, right? And you were, and you had a blindfold and you were not allowed to look at your customers. Just, you will just find out after the end of the day what you, know, you had sold. That's it, right? Yeah. It's, it's horrible. You need to track behavior, right? And for anyone who's listening, if your company is less than two years old and less than five millions in revenue, reach out to me and I can give segment for free to you, okay? Yeah. So that's great, okay? And that's going to be most early stage companies. Take that offer and implement tracking, right? Super, no cost. powerful Just, tool. Yeah. Yes. Because it gives you two things. One, it helps you like standardize uh, user behavior data from day one. And two, it lets you also um, change your stack as you grow. And so you might not want to start with like expensive tools. You might want to start with like cheap tools, which is great. But at least the data is going to stay the same. You can switch from one tool to the other within the segment platform. But going back to what you said, start small. Don't go for like, oh, I'm going to track everything in the app because you're going to get bogged down into the complexity of the project. Start with like, what are the key behaviors, right? What are the key behaviors of people in my app? Um, What are the key lifecycle moments? If you have an app that has like social referral, then you want to track that, right? You want to track when they invite uh, maybe um, a coworker uh, into the app or when maybe the admin adds someone. Um, if it's something that is uh, a JavaScript or like a, a chat, like a drift, you want to track when the JavaScript is first put on a website and loaded. That's a key moment, right? 
Yeah. Um, so all of those things you want to start tracking. Um, you can you you can you can do pretty well of like you know ten or fifteen uh, key events to start with. Yeah, and just uh, like you said, really just start small. Really be specific yeah. about what you want to track. Uh, yeah, yeah. Build a tracking plan. Do it in Google Sheets. You know, on Airtable. Like just build a tracking plan of like what are the key moments? What's the name of the event? Uh, what's the property? And get going. You know. Yeah, I think the tracking plan is probably the key uh, element in this as well, I think, because uh, I've seen this happen. I've made this mistake before. Like in the early days, you get excited, you want to move fast, and you just start adding tracking and a whole bunch of things. But without having a plan in mm -hmm. place and not having a place to really record uh, what's being tracked, it very quickly becomes a mess. Like everybody will start adding yeah. their own inputs and insights. And Yeah. And uh, it's like, two years down, it's impossible to leverage because then the data is like crap. So you want a tracking plan, Sheets is great, Airtable is great, everyone copy-paste uh, copy the same event name and format, uh, naming convention, and that's the way to go. Yeah, solid, yeah. And then as well, when we think about sort of the marketing and acquisition channels, like we talked about the topic of being able to attribute uh, marketing spend to LTV. Uh, talk us through some of the steps in that, like how could a company go and set this up effectively? Yeah, well, I mean, and in essence, like if you have good tracking, it means you can uh, you can drop the information of each new paying customer, each new sign up, um, with the source, uh, the acquisition source channel of that uh, uh, user, uh, in a database. And if and when that person converts, uh, you can then join the tables and you can look at the um, revenue per channel. And then when that person uh, leaves, you can calculate the LTV or you can do a predictive LTV based on retention. Um, so that's usually what I do. Uh, and then I have, so one thing that I look into is a new metric called sales velocity per channel. And, and then I look at retention. Sales velocity is a measure where you multiply the time to close, sorry, you, you multiply the average value um, by the conversion rate, and you divide by the time to close, right? Um, and that's fairly important, especially when you have uh, salespeople, um, because you don't want to push only like whales, like large deals that sure have a very high CV but take very long to close, because then the efficiency of your team goes down, right? So it's the same logic, right? You don't want to acquire customers that that, that are going to churn in the first like year. Right? You don't want to acquire customers that are going to require a huge sales effort. So on the top of the funnel, I measure like um, sales velocity, and on the bottom of the funnel, I, I measure like uh, retention and LTV. Right? And then I bring back those metrics channel by channel and say, hey, like I've got like for example an app store channel, and if I look at the app store, where well, I'm going to see usually you know a a a pretty good velocity because even though the uh, conversion is low, uh, the time to close is really, really fast. And so the effort is almost null, right? And I'm usually going to see a, a pretty high churn. And so I calculate the LTV, and then I look at two metrics and say, hey, like, is it worth to bring them in based on the effort to close them and based on whether they're going to stay or not? And yeah. then I calculate my margin, right? Because my margin, if you, if you want to think of like your CAC to LTV, you really got to start thinking of like, what's your fully loaded CAC, which you got to take into account like the humans that are required to drink, make the people pay, 
and to keep the people in, right? Yeah. If you're not taking that into account, then uh, you're kind of cheating, right? Because if some oh, customers yeah. need, yeah, if, if some customers need a lot more help to be successful and to stay, well, that's a cost that exists somewhere in your PNL, right? And, and that cost need to, needs to be tied to that channel because maybe you have a very crappy channel because people, you know, have been over-promised to or have been, uh, been under-explained. And that's a typical uh, behavior that happens when you, um, for example, you, you open a, a new channel that brings in people who are, um, uh, let's say, a bit higher, uh, a bit above, a bit, a bit before, and the readiness uh, stage. You know, most yeah. sales cycles, you know, customers go through like a couple of weeks, a couple of months of like reading some articles about the uh, software, the competitors, they maybe read a white paper, some emails. And so they start understanding like uh, the market, looking at the products right now, right? When you do, when you have very fast close, you know, so you have what we call like a one touch close and like or an outbound, that's typical for outbound. So outbound, they don't know anything. You have a great sales rep, right? I'm going to say great with quotes around it. And you can see that that sales rep closes really well, right? Yeah. There's a high chance that there's a big churn. Why? Because that, that person is really good at closing people and could sell anything. But those customers do not understand your product. They, may, they might not even know your product. They bought something they don't understand, right? And so all of the, actually, the actual sales needs to happen after the close. And if your organization is not ready for that, they're going to churn. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. It works. You just need to think of like, hey, all of like the typical like uh, demo and sell through and like sales engineers and like answering all the questions will still need to happen if you don't want to churn. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a debt somewhere that needs to be paid. Yeah. I think this is something as well that's often like quite separate from one another. Like you have a sales cost and you have a marketing cost and then often thought of uh, together in the context of like, is this channel actually worth it? So I, I love this like top and bottom approach where you're looking at the, just not only the cost per acquisition, but on the other side, like LTV and the, the sales velocity. This is definitely something I think is another level of sophistication really to bring into a marketing team and have a good understanding of, uh, what's performing and what's not. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like when we talk about this sophistication, like people wonder like, why bother? Like, why should I, like, that's a lot of effort. I think most people don't realize that in SaaS, in, unless you have a product that's really unique and is in 10x what other people do, most likely you offer a product that competes with other people. And yeah. it is a very competitive market right? Extremely competitive. And so if you can have, you know, a 30% gain over your competitors on CAC or on retention, or you can close people faster, like you're going to crush them. Because yeah. month by month, they're going to be forced to retreat from a channel, right? Okay. So example, um, imagine that, um, Facebook for SaaS usually doesn't work well, usually, right? And so imagine you find a way to bring in leads from Facebook that are not as aware about, you know, the product, but you're, you're able like, to bring them in and, and close them. Um, and, and you see there's a high churn. Now you have two options, right? Either you stop the experiment or you say, hey, 
let's look at whether those are the right people or not. Can we change the onboarding for that channel to make them successful? And if you're able to do that, to have a personalized onboarding, like a, a, an adapted onboarding for the people from that specific channel, and they become successful and they retain, now you're destroying your competitors because you found something, you found a way to make a channel work that they haven't, right? That is the way to do it. And so I don't retreat from a channel as soon as I see churn. I try to understand, is this churn unavoidable because the population on that channel is just not the right population? Or is it just that we need to like onboard and, and do things differently for that category? And is that, is that something that we can do within the bounds of our margin, right? Um, that's always what I, what I try to do. And so I, that's what I recommend people doing. Yeah, I love that as well. You just don't retreat from a channel as soon as you see it, like really trying to unlock that competitive advantage because definitely like yeah. people coming from different channels, like they're coming with different mindsets, they're coming with different levels yeah. of sophistication and uh, you yeah. could be speaking just a different audience that needs to see a different part yeah. of your product. Uh, yeah, and what that means is as the marketer, it is your job to make sure that the CST and the success people have the information on the acquisition, right? And on the acquisition method and channel. Most, more often than not, they don't have it in their CRM. They don't know where the customer came from. And that's sad, right? Yeah. That's really sad. And not just thinking thing like the last touch or the first touch, like the, the life cycle is like, hey, did that person was, did that person start as an outbound lead? Did he or she like read content? Like what is the level, level of awareness of that person? All right. And so you need to start thinking like, how do I give that information to my success team, to my onboarding team of like the life cycle and like the, the steps that this customer went through, right? Otherwise, they need to go through the entire discovery. They're losing time. Your customer's frustrated. And like, it's just not a great experience. Yeah, th this is something we talked about with Andres Perd from OutFunnel. He actually built a company now around this is realizing that like marketing and sales were totally disconnected and uh, to get ahead of the curve with your sales and success teams, like just giving them that simple context of like what ads people saw and where they came from and what their interests were exactly. like, puts you way ahead of the competition when uh, yeah. trying to close deals. Um, so I have another question here for you, G. Like um, I want to put you in a hypothetical scenario now as well. And uh, let's pretend you've, move to a new company and uh, you walk in and you see like churner retention really bad. Um, you've been asked like to try and turn things around for this company. What are some of the things you would do in the first two to three months to try and help uh, rectify the situation? Yeah. The first thing is uh, I look at whether there's an NPS uh, score that's in place. Uh, so NPS collection. Um, so are we, are we collecting information on current customer satisfaction, right? Uh, that's the first thing I would do um, to understand like, hey, like how does that compare with industry standards? If the NPS score is negative, then I already start to have an answer, right? It means the people are unhappy with the product, first thing. Second thing, I'm going to do a very simple campaign, which I've done a lot of time in the past, a text-based email for all the people that have turned in the past two months from in the name of this CEO to the champion. And it's not trying to bring them back. It's just saying, hey, Andrew, I realized that it didn't work out. I'm sorry about that. Can you just tell me in one line why you left? Okay? And there's no link. There's no CTA. There's no button. There's no form. 
Okay, it's very important. It's got to feel personal. It's got to feel, and so very good response rate. And then we do. I use MonkeyLearn to do some uh, text analysis to break that down in categories to understand: Did they move to a competitor? Uh, did they uh, um, did the company disappear? Uh, was it too expensive? And so on and so on and so on. Right. So I try to understand from from people who have left. I try to understand from people who are, who are still here. Right. And then I try to break down. Can I do some simple math around the people that have left and the people who are currently there but unhappy? Can I correlate that with other information? Is it based on channel? Is it based on salesperson? Is it based on company size? Like, what are we doing wrong? Right? Now, there's two things. Right? Either I can see a variation. Some part of the population is churning more, is more unhappy. And so it just means that our product isn't great for that part of the population. It could just be like you don't have a great product for people who don't read English. Right? That's a typical case. It could be you don't have a great product for large companies. Also a typical case. Right? If the churn is evenly distributed, so that's noisy, you don't find any signal, then you have a larger issue. Right? It means that broadly you are over-promising. Right? It means you're bringing people in. Uh, on promises that people then don't see the value for, right? And then you need to change, you need to either be able to build the features of those promises, or you need to be able to change your acquisition overall. So that's, that's my usual strategy. Nice, I like it. So that again, looking from both sides of the problem, like focusing on those that are successful and then on the opposite end, like uh, those yeah. that have left. I really, really like that sort of personalized uh, notes as well from coming from the CEO. Uh, yeah. it definitely like it, it, it's something I think as well that hot jar that I realized, uh, previously was like when they, they had a, uh, email that goes out if somebody is churned, uh, through delinquent, ch uh, churn, uh, credit card failures. And I think often like, this is also one of those things like, like with leaving, you have to take into consideration the user psychology at this point in time and trying to sort of push them with a form or a button to get a response. It's not going to happen, but making it personal and really having it focused. You spoke about monkey learn as well, and uh, I'm intrigued to sort of to learn a little bit more about how you're using it. So I liked you talked about the sentiment uh, and intent yep. analysis. Like maybe talk us through that tool as well. Like how are you using it? Uh, in what ways? Yeah. So, so monkey learn is, is a platform uh, for people like me who I'm not an engineer uh, to build some simple uh, machine learning uh, and text analysis, uh, uh, um, let's say models. Um, and I can connect it to um, either NPS tools or Zapier or any other kind of tool to like collect the data. And, and the point is, MonkeyLearn exists because people don't want to fill forms, right? Um, when you send an email and you ask people for their feelings on a uh, link and they need to fill a type form, then engagements could be much lower than if they can just respond from their mobile phone in like one line much lower. And so I saw that and I said, hey, like, how can I increase the response rate or the engagement rate? And I start stopping, so I stopped completely like asking for structured data from the people. People will just say what they want and then I use tools to structure the data in broad categories. So I use MonkeyLearn to, to, to like structure my NPS automatically, uh, to structure the email responses. I use it also for outbound emails and acquisition. So for example, like we send like thousands of, of outbound emails per week. Um, 
a couple of percent of people respond. We need to split that in like interested, not interested, uh, wrong, wrong person. And we then handle the automation based on that. So we have, uh, so we, we generally train a model based on a couple hundred occurrences uh, that we have done manually. And then we have an API that we can hit and, and it does the text analysis for us. Wow, that's super cool. Uh, and it saves a lot of time as well, man hours for yeah. the team, I guess, in analysis. Yeah, yeah. and it, it enables you to do things that give a much better uh, customer experience than without. Because Absolutely. most of the time, for example, like the reason why people use forms and like structured, and they ask the customer for structured data is because they don't want to bear the costs of like reading each individual email and structuring the data. Okay. Yeah. But I thought is like, hey, my customer is king. Why would I ask my customer to do something that I don't want to do? Yeah, making them jump through hips. Yeah, my customer, like that person has left, is already unhappy. Do you really think that that person is going to spend five minutes filling a form? No way. I got to reduce the friction. My entire, like, if you think of like what I do as 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 a head of growth, my job is to reduce friction. I can't add a form. Right, and so I got to ask the least effort possible, and like use either humans or technology to get the best data possible from the lowest effort. That's the one way to like recap what my job is. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fascinating, like all these different uh, things that you managed to put together. I think uh, somebody dubbed it, and I think you you refer to yourself as well as the mad scientist. Uh, yes. Like I definitely listening to this chat now already. Like uh, I'm sure there must be many, many other crazy ways that you've been able to automate and connecting. So I think maybe if we want to just end it there today and like leave us with maybe one of the craziest things that you've done with automations or uh, being able to connect data that you think that audience absolutely needs to try it in their business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm going to do something that's related both to churn and acquisition. A couple of years ago, I've started. Uh, buying uh, data from G2 Crowd. So for those who don't know, G2 Crowd is like kind of like uh, a review uh, site for software, uh, kind of like the Yelp uh, of uh, SaaS software. And so you can have a page in a category and, and, and you can like have people leave reviews on your product, right? Um, and the great thing about that is that they actually sell uh, the, the, the page views the intent data, not only on who's coming to your page, which companies, which companies are coming to your page, but which companies are go, going to the page of my competitors in my category or the entire category. So imagine that you know I'm in the help desk category and that uh, I am gorgeous, right? I compete with Zendesk. I compete with customer and Reamaze, right? We're all in the same category. If a company goes to the category to find like the best help desk software, I'm going to know about it. If they go to my competitor, I'm going to know about it. I use that in two ways. Automatically, we pull that data in. We match it with our CRM. If that account does not exist in our CRM, we will outbound in the name of the sales rep based on the number of people from that company that have visited my competitor. We're trying to get in the deal before my competitors know about the deal. That's number one. Number two. If that account exists in my CRM, and if that is a customer, now if I have a customer checking out my competitor on G2 Crowd, I got the churn risk. Somebody is shopping for another tool. And so that automatically goes to my success team and saying, hey, success people, whoever's in charge of that account, 
you miss something, right? Somebody's shopping here and we don't like that. So I do that automatically. And I buy the data from G2 Crowd. I buy data from more than 10 other intent sources, who's being hired, who has upvoted who on Product Hunt, and, and so on and so on and so on. And so we automatically predict future conversions within our market for potential customers and for potential churn. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, it, it sounds scary as well in some aspects of the, the world, but yeah. it's, I've, I've seen it yeah. at play, I think, as well in some of the companies that you worked at. Uh, yeah. Myself, obviously, shopping around for different tools, and uh, it definitely is yeah. effective. Yeah. Well, yeah, the last thing I want to leave the audience with, yeah. uh, one, one last thing is, um, yes, I try a lot of tools, uh, and I am on like lots of small uh, pieces of technology, that is my competitive advantage. Most marketers will use traditional tools, uh, true and proven tools. Example, they're gonna be on Marketo, right? Yeah. I don't claim to be a better marketer. I can only say one thing. If you give me Marketo or, and Salesforce, don't expect me to create 10X campaigns, like campaigns that are 10X better than, than anyone else, right? I only win because I have a competitive advantage of using the newest, smartest tool, piece of technology that gives me competitive edge. That's why I do it, Yeah. right? So I always go to the newest thing. I'm always open to new technologies and I will try them and it's gonna give me a small edge, maybe for one year or two, I'm gonna take it. And take advantage. Yeah, that's it's super interesting as well. Definitely, you've been able to take advantage of a lot of these new uh, technologies as well. Uh, G, for the listeners then as well, like uh, off just thanks a lot. It's been fantastic having you. But how can the listeners keep up to date with you? How can they follow you online? Like, uh, yeah, um, I think my, my, my best channel is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, if you do want to send me an email, send me an email at g at growth.li. Uh, that's fairly easy. Or just on LinkedIn, um, Guillaume Caban. And uh, yeah, that's where I am. Cool. Well, thanks very much. It's been great having you today. Uh, and I think obviously like from this episode, there's a lot to take away. So I hope the awesome. listeners enjoyed and uh, we start seeing some companies growing as a result. Yeah, for sure. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Jim. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.